actually where the money is made, how can I get started as well? So you see actually that there's a kind of a fear of missing out happening now in the market and that a lot of these celebrities, influencers, et cetera, they're thinking, how can I also get involved? And it also has to do with current, the, the current market conditions. So these influencers, they have been living in a very good economical time. The last eight years, the market only went up and they could charge higher prices. But now this is the first year when there's an economic downturn and all these big corporates, they're keeping their money in their pocket and not paying these influencers anymore. So I'm Diana Florescu, and this is a Media Capital Show. In this episode, I had the opportunity to catch up with Scott Vanderberg, the founder of Influencer Capital, a new specialized fund compounding the influencer's media value via the startup ecosystem. We discussed his approach to structuring media for equity deals, the level of involvement that influencers have in the evaluation process, and why this type of funding is gaining popularity and where he sees the future opportunities for both himself and the influencer marketing equity model. I hope you enjoy it. Hi, Scott. It's great to have you on the show. Thanks for coming. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. Absolutely. I think we were just actually just talking about this, that a lot of media capital investors that I've, I've been speaking to recently have been referencing influencer marketing as the next big thing and the next big channel to tap into. So we've got a lot to cover in this episode, but first, let me ask you, how did influencer capital come about? Yeah, sure. So uh, I, I'm Dutch currently based in Amsterdam, but I used to live and work actually all over the world. I've actually always been involved with startups. I had my own startups, but was also working for other organizations. Then in the end of 2019, I moved to Silicon Valley and I helped the Dutch government to set up an organization, which was building a bridge between Silicon Valley and the Netherlands to help more Dutch startups to go to Silicon Valley because there are just much more resources available, especially cash to grow. Uh, but then COVID happened, so no startup was able to go to the United States anymore. So that's also mm-hmm. why I decided uh, to leave early to the Netherlands. But what I really saw in the, net- in the United States was that there were so many startups that only had a pitch deck and they were already able to raise millions of dollars. Whereas my experience in the Netherlands, if you want to raise 100K or 200K, you need to have a product, you need to have a team, you need to have traction, etc. So it's a lot harder to raise capital in the Netherlands and actually other parts of Europe in comparison to the United States. So I was like, hey, I now have this network of US-based investors from my time in Silicon Valley, as well as this network of Dutch slash European startups. Why don't I help these European startups to raise capital from these US investors? So they called it investment banking. Uh, so I did that. I set up an organization together with a, a good friend of mine to do that. And we were quite successful. So we had clients in like 12 uh, European countries. Uh, but at some point that became very frustrating uh, because you're helping these companies to raise capital. Uh, and yeah, you get a nice consulting fee for that. But a year later, you then look on your LinkedIn and you see that these companies raise 20, 50, sometimes hundreds of millions of dollars. And we were like, ah, shit, it would be so much more interesting if we had a small equity stake. Uh, so that really made me decide that I wanted to move to the investor side of startups, but I didn't necessarily want to raise another fund. I remain an entrepreneur and I wanted to do something different. And that's how I came in touch with Media for Equity. And I was like, hey, why is there another Media for Equity fund focused on influence marketing? Right. Quite a journey. And I think you also lived in a few countries at one point. I think you mentioned Bucharest, Romania. What were we doing there? Yeah, so that was kind of a part of my studies. So I studied entrepreneurship and every year we had to go to a different country to experience what entrepreneurship meant in that specific country. So 
so I learned a lot about the, yeah, the, the entrepreneurial ecosystem of Bucharest. Interesting. So let's talk a bit about the fund model, because obviously we've, we've both been in the space for quite a while and I've seen a lot of media for equity funds popping up. I think there's a huge focus right now and a huge opportunity on the US and I'm sure you agree. But uh, the influencer marketing model translated in the media for equity industry hasn't really been around for, uh, for that long. And I think a lot of funds are still trying to get their heads around how to integrate such channel, especially if you are an independent media for equity fund. So let's talk a bit about the fund model, because the way I look at it from an external view, the influencer, so generally the influencer to brand relationship probably looks something along the lines of the brand pays the influencer, the influencer deliver the content. The brand approves the content and then the influencer probably posts content usually on third parties, platforms like Facebook, TikTok, YouTube, so on. And then the agreement is completed. How does it work with influencer capital? Can you walk us through perhaps just a typical deal, maybe end to end? Yeah, of course. I do have to say that there's no one size fits all. So every deal is a little bit different. And I think what's also important to mention is that when we're referring to influencers, we're refer referring to people with influence. So that can also be athletes, artists, celebrities, creators, whatever you want to categorize these people as, just people with influence. Um, and actually what we always do is we bring back deals, media investments to like a normal investment situation where we put like a dollar value on the media. So let's say indeed normally an influencer, they charge $5,000 to mention startup in a YouTube video. And let's say the startup wants to be mentioned 20 times in videos then the media value that the influencer offers is $5,000 times 20 is 100K. And let's say the valuation of that company is 10 million. Then that means that the influencer is actually investing 100K at a 10 million valuation, which means that the influencer will receive a 1% equity stake. So, so then the, the deal is kind of still transactional. Right, so the parity is basically one to one, $1 of media to $1 of equity in this case. Yeah, but then obviously the negotiation starts. So you start negotiating about the media price. Can you add discount? How much want the influencer be involved besides the marketing activities? Maybe they also want to be involved in product development or anything else. And then you also start to negotiate about the valuation. So this comes back to that every startup and every deal is a little bit different. And every startup requires something different. Got it. And I think with... The two of us, we talked about this before, but influencer capital is not necessarily a typical venture capital, like traditional venture capital fund in a sense that every deal that you are closing, it's almost like a syndicated deal, like a special vehicle. Do you want to talk a bit about that? And imagine you have a company right now, potential investment opportunity. Where do you start? Do you start engaging with the startup first in terms of understanding their needs and then potentially bringing on board the influencers that you believe that matter most to the company and what they're looking to achieve? And what's basically the fund's role in this? Do you also have a branding, marketing expertise, engagement in, in this deal as well? Yeah, yeah. so indeed, we are structured as kind of a deal-by-deal deal fund. It means that for every deal, we search for different influencers because obviously every startup is different and they need different influencers to fit with their target audience. So yeah, we have a lot of deals with different, different influencers in it. I think how a typical deal starts is that we start engaging with a startup also, what's important to know is that we already have a pool of 5,000 influencers, both in the Netherlands as well as in the United States, that expressed interest in that if there's a startup that matches their profile, 
then they want to be kept up to date to see if yeah, they want to explore such a partnership. So we already have that network of about 5,000 influencers that we can reach out to. So how it typically works is we get in touch with a startup, we start the due diligence process and we start to talk about a, like a typical deal structure. So let's say this company is valued at 10 million and they want to raise 500K in influencer marketing services spread over five influencers equally. That means that five influencers will all receive 100K in equity. And then we talk to the startup as in, okay, what type of influencers would you like to engage with? Because if you're reaching out to like a big personality such as a Kevin Hart, well, Kevin Hart for 100K, he will probably do one or two posts. Whereas if you're targeting a smaller influencer, that person can do a lot more for 100K. So then the, yeah, the negotiation with such a startup starts as in, okay, what type of influencer are you looking for? What are the demographics of that influencer? Are you looking at to target female, male? Where are these people based? What is the age category, et cetera? So then we start to define the influencer profile. And then what we do is we basically reach out or like look into our network to see, okay, what type of profiles fit that profile? What type of influencers fit that profile? And then we start collecting a few names. And then basically it's an ongoing process where we send those names to the startup. We say, hey, what do you think about these 10 names? And then the startup says, okay, I really like these four. I'm not so sure about these three and these three I don't want to work with. Oh, and by the way, can you actually look at more into this direction? Until we start working towards the ideal candidates and then actually we start to engage with them and say, hey, this startups really like your profile, really like your content and would like to see if you're interested in an equity deal. And that's basically where the real negotiation starts. All right. So, so many questions were just popping into my head as you were describing the model. So it sounded like you're almost creating, I suppose, a standardized rate card, if you like, and probably you are extracting a lot of the demographics and you must have probably a, a, a template around each influencer that you work with, I suppose, when you present that to the company. Is that something that you're building internally by working in, on a one-to-one -one basis to every influencer, or do you work with an influencer marketing agency? We are not working with an influencer marketing agency. We are kind of building it, but we are also not building it. And it has to do also with that every pricing is different. If you want to have an Instagram post, then the prices of that is completely different for TikTok or for YouTube integration. Uh, if you're talking about YouTube, would you like to have a 30 second integration, 60 second integration? Would you like a full YouTube video about it? So there's so many different flavors within influencer marketing, which makes it very hard to structure these types of deals. And I think that this is one of the reasons why not so many influencer marketing for equity deals have been happening, because it's just so many challenging aspects. There's no blueprint yet on how to do it. And that's actually one of the reasons why I founded Influencer Capital. We kind of want, similar to what a white combinator did, we want to create the safe note for these type of equity deals. And kind of create that that framework of how these deals should be structured. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think we can probably relate across the whole media for equity industry that there is no such thing as standardization across markets, geographies. And I think when we look into influencer marketing, even more so. So in terms of then, so Scott, in terms of pricing, I do have to go back to that. And I know you started explaining that example of the $5,000 example you gave earlier, but how do you actually price the media and you just referred back right now to how this differs between different platforms and the type of post is that something that you again build internally or something that you agree with the influencer and how do you know that you know that's kind of the average market value i suppose for that post 
and I'm saying media and I we talked about this earlier but essentially the influencer is giving you not just a post or the inventory right that they hold with Facebook or YouTube etc but they give you that authority how do you how do you even price that like where do you even start yeah so I think that those prices you can one benchmark them so there's a lot of data available if you just google how much do I need to pay an influencer? Then you will already get a lot of, of benchmarking numbers that you can use. A lot of times these influencers, they already provide us with a price list and they're actually using those prices also with our other clients. So it's not that every time they give out new prices, they have their standard price list as well. Um, and that pri those prices are based on their following, their engagement, all those types of factors. Yeah. Got it. Is there, at least for you at Influencer Capital, is there a definition of what makes an influencer? Do you have any ceilings or a minimum threshold in terms of reach or engagement, follower base? How do you essentially define an influencer? Do you have a specific criteria? Yeah, so we are not necessarily defining influencer because you and I can also be an influencer. Although maybe we have a thousand followers on Instagram, if that thousand people all follow me because I have an expertise on a very niche topic, then I can also be considered an influencer. But what we typically see is that we're working with influencers that have between 250K followers and 5 million. And why those specific numbers is that the people under 250K, uh, they often don't have the space to do equity deals. They need to do cash deals to basically pay for their rent, pay for their, their salary, etc. So they, they need to do cash deals. Whereas the people beyond, beyond, above the 250K, they have space enough to also do equity deals because they have more than enough money coming in. And then why until the top 5 million is because people that above 5 million, they probably have their own team that is already doing these types of equity deals. And they already have enough offers coming in. And until now, we have seen that they're kind of withholding to do then a deal with us and split that with other influencers. They just want to do these types of equity deals themselves. This is interesting and let's let's maybe talk a bit about that because I think there's a lot of new celebrities backed funds that are just popping up everywhere. We recently have seen the venture fund RX3 just raised the second second fund of 150 million dollars. They're backed by a lot of celebrities in the US, including Christina Aguilera, Vanessa Hutchins, and it's a consumer focused growth equity fund. And there's many more examples, and I'm sure you have a few superheroes to, to hear from yours as well. But these funds essentially operate as any other traditional fund. We talk about cash transactions, plus, of course, the authority that that celebrity provides, but essentially there are cash contributions. So I guess my question is regarding influencer capital and your experience so far, is there an actual appetite for media for equity among influencers and celebrities that you've spoken to so far? Yeah, so actually, let's break that down into two aspects. I think that what is very interesting is the athlete aspect. So influencers, they can actually learn a lot from athletes. Athletes, why? Because athletes really focus on long-term stable careers. Influencers, they're very short-sighted right now, and they just earn a lot of money, but they have not been thinking yet as in, okay, what if I'm turning 35 and I have a family? Do I still want to be in front of the camera so much? Or what will happen if TikTok gets banned? Or what will happen if I say something stupid online and I will get canceled? So they're not thinking so much about that. Whereas an, uh, an athlete, they know that they cannot like uh, earn uh, money forever with their current profession. So they can only earn money between their 20th and 40th. 
So that's why already during their active career, they're investing for their long-term sustainable financial future. So I think that that's why athletes and celebrities, actors, they're really leading the way into this. Um, so that's why you also see like Rihanna and, and, and Aaron Rodgers, Serena Williams, Kevin Durant, LeBron James, Conor McGregor. Those are the people that are having a lot of success with this. And I think that now this is the first generation that you finally see these success cases. So every industry, they always have an adoption rate. So they're very early adopters, which in this case are the Aaron Rodgers and the Serena Williams, et cetera. And now only that success comes to life. So everyone now sees the success of Prime, of Logan Paul and KSI. Everyone sees the success of a Mr. Beast at Beast Wars. Everyone sees the success of Ryan Reynolds. And now all these other influencers, they're like, oh, wow, this is actually where the money is made. How can I get started as well? So you see actually that there's a kind of a fear of missing out happening now in the market and that a lot of these celebrities, influencers, et cetera, they're thinking, how can I also get involved? And it also has to do with current, the, the current market conditions. So these influencers, they have been living in a very good economical time. The last eight years, the market only went up and they could charge higher prices. But now this is the first year when there's an economic downturn and all these big corporates, they're keeping their money in their pocket and not paying these influencers anymore. So these influencers finally start to understand that they cannot solely rely on those brand deals and they have to diversify. So I think that's why I've seen a big appetite for these influencers and they are all currently thinking about starting their own brand, taking equity in companies because they understand that that's where the money is made. Absolutely. And I, I can totally relate as well. And if we look back on where the, the entire model, I think, of media for equity has started, it was in fact during times of economic downturn. And we've seen, I think, an, an overall upward trend, both in terms of deals, probably smaller deal sizes to start with this year. I think TV companies or stations that historically perhaps were doing one million pounds or dollar deal to start with, they're probably even lowering the ticket sizes just to allow more startups to get started. But there's definitely been a higher activity this year, just in the first two quarters from what we've seen. And also in terms of influencer, what you're actually marketing in terms, you, you are democratizing in a way, access to a lot of just ordinary people, not just celebrities, as you explained earlier. And I was at a previous event, another tech conference where I was presenting the model just more broadly. This time, a lot more people interested in the model and a lot more people actually that have heard about media for equity, which perhaps we are doing something right that in the last two years, we, we, we kept talking about it and publishing a lot of research around this topic. But interestingly enough, right after the session, there were a couple of people outside just willing to ask questions and learn more, but majority of them were asking about influencer marketing and of course, not celebrities, but they were just ordinary people with generous follower base and good engagement that wanted to get started. So from your experience and what you've been building with Influencer Capital, you mentioned 5,000 influencers that you're working with right now. I suppose majority of them are not necessarily celebrities, but they're ordinary people, correct? Yeah, that's indeed true. I definitely think that these creators, they can become the, the superheroes of the, of, like, of the past. So what you see that in the past, the celebrities and the influencers, those were people like George Clooney or, or, or like a Kevin Hart or whatsoever. But what you see nowadays with media is that you have access to your favorite internet star every second of the day. 
you're a fan of Mr. Beast or a fan of Logan Paul or whatever, every single day you can look on their Instagram and you can kind of interact with them. So I think that that's why influencers definitely, they definitely have the power to become the superheroes of the future. Yeah. And I think perhaps what also what that does by working with, you know, just more, more, more people or having a, a, a looser criteria in terms of what really makes an influencer, but obviously looking at, you know, specific, specific things, specific APIs, such as engagement, et cetera, is that it probably broadened up the scope in terms of what companies you can actually invest in. One challenge I see personally with influencer marketing is that a lot of the celebrities that you also mentioned are either actors or primarily athletes, which probably the kind of investments you're making are more skewed towards sports, I suppose, or lifestyle brands. Are there any sectors that you think that would benefit most from this type of deals? And how do you ensure that you have, you don't, for example, go extremely niche within a specific, just a one sector, like for example, sports, because that's where most of the influencers are. Where do you see basically the next big kind of opportunity, I suppose, in terms of sectors? Yeah, I love this question. And this was actually a big learning of myself. So uh, as I said, I come from the startup and innovation world. And I've been living in San Francisco where you're like in the middle of the heart of entrepreneurship, where they're only talking about new technologies, etc. And when I started this, I initially thought that these influencers, they were very interested in investing in these or taking equity in these next generation technology companies. Whereas now, if I'm talking to influencers and I'm proposing them a software technology or like an app or, or something with data and AI, they're like a little bit like, nah, that is not so interesting for me. And I'm like, but like, don't you see the potential in this? And I try to really tell them about what I see in this startup, right? Because I'm not an influencer. I'm more of a startup guy. And they are actually more interested in doing deals with really like consumer product goods, things they can have in their hands, a new type of drink, a new type of food product, a vegan startup, something that has to do with makeup, with hair, etc. So that was a big learning for me that actually is these celebrities, these influencers, they're looking to do equity deals with completely different startups than I initially actually wanted to invest in. Yeah. I mean, there are probably a few as you were talking, I actually haven't thought about this in the in, before, but I think it was just recently Ashton Kutcher that announced his AI fund, which it was allegedly oversubscribed in five weeks. So I think there's a lot probably of different celebrities and actors that are looking more broadly. And I think AI is one of those sectors that, you know, it's just really hot at the moment with all the conversations around open AI, but that was my experience as well. And I think this is probably one of the challenge that probably some of the other established media for equity funds may feel as well, because if you think about it, a lot of these funds are backed by media companies. It's a vehicle where it's their risk investments. They're looking for the next big things, right? Not so many traditional startups, of course, direct to consumer are still probably the most prevalent, but even those direct to consumer brands are highly digital at, at heart and very scalable and very light asset companies. So anyway, that's something quite interesting and would love to maybe revert back in a, in a few months as you, as you are those deals. Yeah, so it, all, it all has to do with education. So yeah. you really have to educate these, these, these influencers on, on startups like Aston Kutcher. He has already been an, an investor for about 10 plus years. So now he is able to see what the returns can potentially be. And that's why he's expanding to AI, but also in terms of 
you have to also educate these influencers on percentage points, for example, because if you are reaching out to an influencer and you offer them 0.3% of your company, then these influencers are like, no, I'm not going to work for 0.3% because for them, that sounds like a very low amount. Whereas that 0.3% can actually represent a significant amount. So it is really about education, not only on the start of the influencer side, but also on the startup side, because a lot of startups still think that they can reach out to a 1 million follower influencer and offer them $500 and a free product. And they think they're, they are happy, but that's not the case anymore. So a lot of education still needs to be done in this industry to make sure that these deals are happening more often. Absolutely. And let's actually talk about that. Let's talk about, I think, the benefits on, on both sides, because, you know, let's, let's maybe start with startups. And I, I suppose you're looking primarily at early stage companies because you reference, you know, the capital challenge, perhaps in, in paying for, for influencers and with media for equity more traditionally where TV is used, I think that it's basically a given a lot of the companies don't even think about TV. And I think there's a lot of misconceptions there, which we'll talk about in, in different episodes, but what kind of companies are you targeting essentially? And what are the benefits of using, uh, in this case, working with influencer capital, as opposed to going and trying to strike those deals traditionally with influencer with influencers? Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. So we're typically aiming at seed slash series A startups. What is really important for us is that they have kind of a product market fit and that they can handle growth. Like, let's say it's an app and they still have a lot of bugs and we start to promote it. And then like 10,000 people will download the app and it crashes. That's something obviously that cannot happen. So that's why we typically more aim to go to pre-series A, late C, series A, because those startups are ready for that type of growth. Yeah, we are, we are sector agnostic and that also has to do with our pool of influencers because we have influencers in the beauty industry, in the fintech industry, in the sports industry. So yeah, we are open to do deals in, in different sectors. I think the main, there are a couple of benefits, I think four benefits for startups. One is obviously that they can partner up with the web's most recognizable faces and put their startup in front of millions of consumers without spending a single dollar. These startups often don't have the budget to do that right now and by this model they can. What is also really important is that they can align the incentives with these influencers. Nowadays, if you reach out to them and you offer them $10,000 in cash, then the influencer will still consider doing it instead of, even though they don't 100% believe in your company. But if you offer an equity, well, the only way that they're going to earn money is if, is, is if the company does well and exits. Uh, so that's really going to make them question themselves as, hey, do I even believe in this company in the first place? Which means that if they're willing to do an equity deal with you, that means that they truly believe in what you do. And that just creates much more authentic relationship and aligned incentives. And also what is really important is that being celebrity-backed also helps with credibility. It's going to help a lot with PR because a lot of media uh, journalists would like to cover news about celebrities to say, hey, this influencer or this celebrity invested in this company. So that yeah, brings a lot of credibility and it also helps with future fundraising. You already mentioned that Aston Kutcher, he tweeted one time and his fund was oversubscribed. And that's going to be the same case with investors. If they see that a big influencer or a big celebrity invests in a company, well, then they think, oh, am I missing something then? And then lastly, these influencers, they can also offer something that institutional investors cannot, and that is often access. So there's a great example of Shaq, so Shaquille O'Neal, big basketball player. He mm -hmm. invested in the smart doorbell company Ring. And a Ring obviously can be used to answer the door, but it can also be used for safety. So Ring really wanted to partner up with the police. 
to see if they could if something happened then ring can immediately call the police by the app or whatsoever and ring tried to do that by themselves but they weren't able to really get in touch with the right person within the police uh Shaq invested and within one phone call of Shaq, they were sitting at the table of the right person the head of the police of los angeles or whatsoever and the deal was done so these uh, celebrities these influencers they can open doors to uh, partners investors clients that these typical institutional investors cannot. Yes, these are really great points. And I was actually taking a lot of notes and from previous experience of working with other founders, what you just said at the end about essentially, you never know your next, your next investor could be the one, you know, seeing the post or watching you on TV, or in this case, you know, seeing your brand coming up in an influencer backed post on Instagram or Facebook, it is real. And it happened so many times with other founders that have used media for equity or media capital and provided them with that exposure and basically that credibility around the brand. So basically as a summary of what you just said, Scott, I think if I were to summarize the benefits would be higher, probably runway, because you don't have to necessarily invest that cash. You can retain it and maybe reinvest it or invest it in operationally, plus giving you the chance to fundraise or raise more money as part of the same round. That amplified reach, which you mentioned, and the accessibility that comes with having a celebrity or an influencer backing you, but also the expertise, I suppose. And I don't know if you necessarily have an example in mind, but I think if you are an early stage company that is just getting started, marketing is usually a problem. I think finding that the right, the right go-to-market strategy, especially when launching in a new market, is quite difficult. And I personally know of a company, I think it's Switzerland-based, called AirUp. I think we both looked at the company in the past that very successfully has used influencer marketing in the US to scale the brand. And I believe this is their kind of go-to platform and channel right now to make the, the brand visible in other markets as well. Yeah. No, I think you're spot on with a company like Arab. I think what was good about Arab is that they were fundraising in the right climate. So when they were raising five to seven years ago, they were able to raise massive rounds because the strategy of these VC funds was then grow at all costs. So they didn't care about overfunding these companies and just deploying all that money into cheap Facebook ads or whatever, or influencer marketing, because it was all growth at all costs. And it paid off for a company like Arab. Uh, but now in the current fundraising climate, a lot of these consumer startups, they're not able to raise these massive fundraising rounds anymore and deploy so much capital into influencer marketing services. So yeah. I think this really has to do with the climate. Arab was also so successful in their influencer marketing strategy because they had the resources to do that. And they were able to get those resources because they fundraised in an extremely good economic climate. And that's not the case anymore for these consumer startups these days. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, absolutely. I think venture capital deployment is just sitting nine years low and is extremely, it's probably even slower at a later stage right now, which creates equally an opportunity for funds like influencer capital, but also the other funds that we have in the network. So let's maybe talk a bit about the influencer's actual involvement in investing in a company. I'm actually curious to know to what extent do you allow these influencers to be involved in the evaluation process? Do they have a say in terms of the due diligence or in which companies you are ultimately investing? Yeah, so also maybe what's interesting to tell you is that I have an advisory board that includes both influencers and, and talent managers. 
So often these deals we first discuss with my advisory board before we are putting it forward to other influencers. And often in that like advisory board already like problems rise up or whatsoever, things that I didn't know about influencer marketing because yeah, my background is not influencer marketing. So oftentimes I already get a lot of information from that advisory board. Uh, but how we typically share the information with these influencers is that we create a deal memo. That's basically a summary of our thoughts together with a pitch deck. So it's just like, okay, hey, this is the pitch deck. This is the company. This is why we want to invest. These are our thoughts. These are the deal criteria. As in we can invest uh, 100K with you at a 10 million valuation. If you need more information, let me know. But oftentimes we see that these influencers actually trust what we do. And that also has to do actually with that our incentives are also completely aligned. So our business model is that we earn a carried interest over the deal. Uh, well, like normal typical fund, they can also charge a management fee. But in our case, there's no cash. So we cannot charge a management fee. We can only charge a carried interest over equity, over exit procedures. It means that let's say we do an investment of 1 million. And let's say that equity stake is sold in a couple of years for 10 million. Then we take a 20% cut. But that means that we are only earning money if a startup is successful and an influencer also made money. So that incentivizes us to only bring back the best startups to these influencers, because otherwise we are also not making money, which means that we really have to perform good due diligence and do our jobs and also actively help these startups. So can we help them with fundraising? Can we help them with internationalization? Can we help them with business development? And I think that that, that, that triangle of us all having the incentives aligned is just very important in the trust that the influencers also have in our model. Yeah, but I have to ask Scott, so who essentially pays the bills? How are you funding this entire operation and how do you essentially make money until three, like the third, fourth year, I suppose, when you expect your first exit? Yeah, so I financed the first part myself. So I was lucky that I made a small exit out of my previous startup and I could use that to really kickstart influencer capital. Then I raised a 200K kind of a pre-seed round. So it's very funny. We are one, on one hand, we are a fund, but on the other hand, we are also a startup. We have like a, like a hypothesis that this is going to work. But the great thing about our company is that our main costs are our employee costs. Well, I'm actually the only one that's employee. And I can tell you that my salary is not so high because I just want to grow, grow obviously influencer capital, but we don't have to build anything. We don't have to spend marketing or whatsoever. So we can grow relatively efficiently and we're currently raising another fundraising round of 1 million to really expand our model to the United States, onboard people so we can look at more startups and put more deals together. Awesome. I do have a couple of questions regarding what's next for Influencer Capital and also how you see this model evolving. But I was smiling when you said, you know, you're, you're basically like a startup as well and I can totally relate. And I think when you are on the other side of the fence and you have startups pitching to you and essentially looking at those deals, very often you forget the kind of tension that those founders actually go through, similarly going through a process of fundraising for a similar media, what media property fund, but in the US. And it is absolutely nerve wracking when you go in front of potential LPs and obviously trying to make the case, it literally feels like there's absolutely no difference from having, again, your startup and asking for money, essentially you are, you are in the same position, right? So I think this is an interesting learning curve and I think you're doing an amazing job. So really, really excited to hear what's, what's next. So 
in before we got there, I do want to just circle back on the influencers because I think we talked about the founders and what's in it for them. But let's maybe discuss the influencer side as well. Why, especially if you're not necessarily a celebrity, but you're just growing your influence right now, um, why would you be open for such deal? And I think you touched obviously on those potential returns as well, but is there something more to this? Could this, for example, open up a new category altogether of customers that perhaps otherwise would not even consider using influencer marketing? Uh, but maybe you can tell us from your experience and what you've heard from the influencers you work with so far. Yeah, 100%. So what's also important to mention is that equity deals are not going to replace cash deals. What I always tell influencers is that they should 90, do 90% of the deals in cash, but do already 10% of the deals in equity. So for me, it's all about diversification. I said they can still do a lot of other deals in cash, uh, but already make sure that you establish some future income streams because you never know if in 10 years you still want to be in front of the cameras or maybe TikTok is banned or maybe you are canceled or whatsoever. So yeah, our proposition is really focused on uh, one diversification. And then secondly, our uh, proposition is really focused on the potential uh, upside that they can have. That's an exponential payout. So the $10,000 that they can get in cash right now can become much more worth in the future. So we give these influencers the opportunity to earn equity in the companies that they grow and basically participate in the upside that is typically reserved for like founders, investors, and employees. Yeah. And is it, are you looking then to structure the deals in a way that you always be part cash, part equity involved, or is it a hundred percent in this case equity or how, how are you thinking about it? Or what was your experience so far? Our aim is to do a hundred percent equity because I think that just makes it a lot easier. Once you start involve cash, which most startups don't have, then it just becomes much more complicated. So uh, although we have seen it happen, we are currently putting a deal together where a startup, where these influencers want to do 20% of the deals in cash. So again, like there's no one size fit all, but it's definitely something that we've seen happening. So let's, let's talk about what's, what's next, right? Cause one, one thing that came to mind and you were talking about your, your fundraising mainly to cover the operational costs of the fund. Is there an appetite in the future to potentially invest cash alongside influencer marketing in, in the startups, how do you see the space essentially evolving? Because I think we started the episode with the fact that it's not very popular actually to see influencer marketing as a channel inside established media for equity funds. And I think you outlined it very well, the reason why, and I think it's still quite challenging. So where do you see this space basically? How do you see it this evolving in the future? And what are the next kind of big milestones essentially for, for you and for influence capital? Yeah. So we see it in phases. I think it's an excellent question because we are thinking about all this time and all these startups are also asking, yeah, but we actually want to have these influencers also have this financial skin in the game. So we kind of see it in, in phases. So our first phase is to do only media for equity uh, mm -hmm. because that will help us to build a track record on both sides, also on the celebrity side. Then we hope maybe to do a few good investments. Maybe we can invest in the next air up or the next like hello fresh or whatsoever. Then once we have those names and once we have the credibility and maybe once we made an exit, then we can tell these influencers as in, Hey, you now made maybe a million dollars. Would you like to actually invest 500 K in our cash fund? And then they're like, yeah, of course, Scott, you already made me a million dollars. So of course I would like to invest in your fund. And actually, I have 10 other friends who have been asking me to also be involved in these types of deals. So uh, they would also love to be part of it. 
And then our kind of phase two is that we can do part equity and part media. And then maybe in the future, we can even do only cash or part, part cash, part media, I mean, in phase two. And then in phase three, we can maybe even do only cash, you know, that it really depends or maybe focus on different areas. So maybe we will then focus more on AI and B2B investments that we currently cannot make because these influencers are just not interested in that type of technologies yet. So yeah. that is kind of how I see the growth plans of influencer capital. And in terms of geographies, I know you alluded to the US a few times, you, you're currently in the Netherlands, but I believe you're actually looking more and more towards that market. Is that something that where you see kind of the next opportunity? And I'm also curious why you, you, you see, for example, the US as kind of the next, next, next market for media for equity and for influencer marketing. Yeah, so we started this in the Netherlands because it's just the market that we that I know best and I also had access to these influencers already. So it was very easy for me to put the first deals together. Whereas in the United States, I didn't have that network. So we kind of wanted to use the Netherlands as a proof of concept, which we have been doing successfully and now using that to scale to the United States. I think the United States is the most interesting market because it's the market that is most mature. So a lot of celebrities already have been investing in startups, so it's not new. Whereas these case studies, we don't have in Europe or in other parts of the world. So the market is just a lot more mature and always, this is kind of always the case. So the United States is always ahead and then two years later, Europe will follow. And then five years later, India or China or whatsoever will follow. So I think that is typically how things normally work. And you see that just the market in the United States is the most ready for our proposition. But I definitely see a lot of opportunities in other geographies, such as India or China, like uh, the top seven out of 10 YouTube growing channels are in India. You know, you have a population of 1.1 billion. So if you have a good consumer startup and it can scale fast, then actually that's where the opportunities are. Also nowadays, there are more unicorns in China and India than there are new unicorns than there are in the United States. So although we think that the maturity right now is in the United States, I definitely think that we will also expand to India and China in the upcoming two to five years. Yeah, India, 1.5 billion people, probably the largest consumer market in the world and yeah. officially overtaking China. And probably will be a bit easier there as well, because of course, there's a few companies at times of India Group has been investing this kind of capital, media capital for about 25 years. And I think that has to do a lot with kind of the market and the familiarity with the model among investors and startups, which is interesting because I think US formerly was lagging behind. But as you said, and I can personally attest as well, I think there is a change and we'll definitely see a lot more of the US media companies involved in these deals in the future. Scott, I think we are about to wrap up, but before we, before we do that, I have a couple of fire round questions. I think to some, to some questions you alluded to in, 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 in the minutes earlier, but just curious, just your own thoughts. What are kind of the areas of technologies or sectors, I suppose, that really excite you this year? And perhaps other people are not necessarily thinking that much about or feel equally excited about. Yeah. So actually one of the things that I'm truly excited about is that influencers start to see themselves as startups. So what you see happening is that influencers are actually raising capital for equity of their company. Like a Mr. Beast recently announced that he wants to raise 150 million at a 1.5 billion valuation, but that includes his channel, his company. So Mr. Beast Burger, Feastables, all his merchandise, 
always other languages and also always future opportunities. And I think that a lot of these creators, they are kind of also startups, right? They need cash to grow and they don't have the cash right now to invest in better videos, etc. So I'm quite excited about the opportunity to also invest in creators and see them as startups and turn them into the next Mr. Beast and Logan Paul and Emma Chamberlain, etc. Great. Best investment advice that you received so far and why that actually stuck with you? Invest in people. So uh, people offer a product or whatever. We had very good startups reach out to us and uh, based on their startup, I would, it's a no-brainer to invest. But there was just no click with the management team or whatsoever. And they just saw us as a sales channel, sales channel instead of a partner. Whereas there maybe are not so good startups, but they have an amazing team. And I just trust that they're going to figure it out. So uh, yeah, you have to work together with these people for potentially 10 plus years. And that's why relationships should always be above a product. Completely agree. And the final question, what are you most helpful for or more optimistic about this year, despite the, the dreadful start of the year that we had? Hopefully you are optimistic about certain aspects. Curious what that is. Yeah, I, I'm super excited because I think that startups are going to figure it out. Uh, and before there was kind of the blueprint as in raise as much money as possible and, and grow at all costs. And now they're rethinking all their strategies, focusing on profitability first, focusing on creating value, focusing on creating impact. So I'm actually very optimistic about uh, the startup landscape. And I think this reshape was, was much needed. And uh, individually regarding influencer marketing for equity deals, I'm just very excited about creating that blueprint and be able to put these deals together much more and much faster. Great. Thanks so much for putting up with all my questions and agreeing to do this. It was a real pleasure having you on the show and I really look forward to following your journey and the influencer capital and potentially working together maybe on a couple of deals moving forward. Thanks so much for coming on the show, Scott. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm looking forward to a continuous collaboration. Thanks, Scott. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoy the show. You can find the full video episode on YouTube on the Media for Growth channel, or you can listen to it on Spotify, Google, or Apple Podcast. And let us know what you think by leaving a review. The full script and more investment insights are available via our Media for Growth monthly newsletter. See you next time.